Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Asban, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our DAF today, Masachat Rosh Hashanah, DAF Chaf Dalad, page 24. Well, we have two missions on this DAF, and Ann and I are going to sort of swap, you know, do one each. But just before we get to the first Mishnah, I just want to point out an interesting passage here, which is talking about uh, some of the questions that they would ask the witnesses, right? How high was the moon and which direction was it? And they then quote a series of bright tote uh, where one says that you saw the, the north of the sun um, and then also but if you see it south of the sun. And the Gemara basically says, that there isn't a machlokas here because it's really that one is talking about where you're going to see the sun in the summer, where you're going to see it during the rainy season. Um, and then the Gemara goes on, you know, to give other descriptions that people may give, right? If it's two, what are they called? Which is like two plow handles high. Um, and if there's a discrepancy, or if they see it reflected in the water, but don't see the actual moon. And what I was struck by with all these passages is, you know, a way that they really paid attention to what was going on, like what's, you know, the celestial bodies that we do not pay attention to as much. I mean, you know, I one of my kids has a telescope, is very interested in sort of looking around at night. But, I, you know, I think we just have to have an appreciation to how well these things were understood. And, and I think you're going to get to um, a lot of that uh, with your particular Mishnah, which is going to talk about uh, some of the uh, some of the pictures that they had uh, to help people describe what they were actually seeing. Um, but, you know, I think there's just a way of describing the natural world that we sort of, not everyone, but I would say many of us who, let's say, live more urban lifestyles had certainly lost. And so I guess I'm curious to know if we do I'll have say, I'm gonna, I want to add to this. Something happens also, and I, I know that there's a way to describe this, you know, from phys- the physicality of the earth or something like that. But the placement of the sky, meaning how close the sky is to where you live, seems to depend on which, I don't know, I don't really understand it, but where you are in the longitude of of whichever time zone, something like that. Or I don't know. I know that the sky looks closer, for example, in Israel. And we can talk about that in a spiritual kind of way, but it also changes how close, what the proximity of the stars seems to be, which you still can't see them in a place with a lot of light pollution as compared to, let's say, growing up in Boston. But growing up in Boston, the sky feels farther away. And I used to think it was just an Israel thing, but it turns out to be, Something else in there's again something in the way the earth. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I know that people have said that this is true elsewhere. Maybe it's true in California. Maybe it has to do with the body of water. I'm not. I, I really. I feel no, silly I talking it about it when I don't know what it is. Are, it has to also do with where you are in the world. Like in other words, the descriptions they're giving here in the Gemara are the descriptions of what the sky looks like in Eretz Israel, right in Israel. If you go, right, so that's I, what that's what I was going to say. Right, I've spent right. time in Australia. It's a totally different sky. So, I right, so that's a difference of hemisphere, but that's a difference of hemisphere. But so th- there's two things I want to say. So one is one is even beyond the difference of hemisphere, how close you are to the how close the sky feels, and obviously in an era without electricity everybody could see the stars better but still the sky feels different i don't under you know again something about the curvature of the earth maybe it's about north south i really don't know it's not a hemisphere issue though so i'm not sure um 
maybe one of our co-learners knows this all and can put it together in a much more sensible way than I've just stumbled through it. But the other thing I was going to say is that I had, you know, my whole life, I had like a little kid version of how I would draw the moon in the, on my paper of drawing the night sky, you know, from childhood. And it turned out to be backwards from where the new moon begins. Meaning my, my crescent is the ending of the moon, not the beginning of the moon. That's also very oh, highly yes, deceptive. That, right. That's very highly deceptive. Yes. So I think just our point is, you know, pay attention to these descriptions because they're not the way that we, I think, view the world or look at the world or think about the world. There may be people out there who are listening who do, and we would love to hear from you. Um, so I'm going to get to the first Mishnah here, which also the Gemara sort of like totally turns around away because I've learned this Mishnah many times. Rosh Beitin Omer Mikudash, V'chola Amoni Maharav Mikudash Mikudash. So after they examine the witnesses and they ask all the questions and they realize that they can accept the testimony of a pair of witnesses, the head of the court will say, Mikudash, it's sanctified. It's the new, you know, it's Rosh Chodesh. And all the people respond. Now, obviously, it's not the whole nation, but it must have been that, you know, from the way they describe it, this was quite a production and people probably came to sort of watch what was going down, going on. They all say, Mikudash, Mikudash. Bein shini rubizmano, bein shalom nirabizmano, mikachin oto. And then it finally says whether the moon was seen at its anticipated time, meaning on the 30th day of the previous month, or whether it was not seen. In other words, whether the witnesses, you didn't even need the witnesses to establish it because it's going to be for the next day. You still need to, you still need to say this process of formally saying mikudash, formally saying that it is sanctified. Rabbi Eliezer ben Rabbi Sadok Omer, and then Rabbi Elazar has this very interesting, this is not Rabbi Elazar ben Azar, it's a different Rabbi Elazar ben Sadok, um, says something interesting, which he says is, if it isn't seen bismano in its anticipated time, you don't need to emekachinoto because the heaven already did it. In other words, it already was done. Um, and so, you know, this also is interesting because part of what makes Rosh Chodesh such an interesting mitzvah that I've always learned is the idea that it's sort of like we humans have control over that. And Rabbi Elezer ben, ben Rabbi Tzadok brings in this element that actually the Shamayim can be uh, Mikudesh, you know, can sanctify the, the new month. And that seems a little counter to like what we say is sort of uh, what's special about the relationship between Rosh Chodesh and the Jewish people that we really are sort of in control of time. So the Gemara first begins with a... Um, a passage that we actually saw before, uh, which is, you know, how do we know that we have to be Mikudash? And it talks about by Daber Moshe at Moadei Hashem, right? Mikansha Rosh Beitin Omer Mikudash. That was mentioned before previously, um, you know, that that's why, that it's saying that we, the head of the court has to do it. Um, and and then, you know, and then, uh, you know, and then it gets into, okay, V'chol Amonim Acharav Mikudash Mikudash Minalan. So again, they want to say, how do they get this? Amar Papa, Amar Kra. Right, so that you actually have to proclaim them. This is based on a pasuk on Vayikra, chapter 23, verse 2. Um, and Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says, Eloheim Moadei, Heim Omru Moadei, right? And Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says, uh, also from that same pasuk, that these are them, my, like my seasons, so that they, the people have to say what the seasons actually are. Mikudash, Mikudash, Trezman, Lamali. 
then how do they know that you have to say sanctified the word mikudash twice? Maybe you only have to say it once. So again, from that same pasuk, because it's mikra'e, which is written in the plural. So in other words, you have to actually say it twice. So that's fine. That's sort of the first half of the Mishnah. But then they really want to deep dive into this opinion of Rabbi Elezer ben Rabbi, Rabbi Sado, which is this idea of like that maybe you don't actually uh, have to say uh, this, uh, you know, that we don't actually have to say uh, this mikudash. And again, I just thought this was so interesting because the way that the Mishnah and the way I've always learned the Mishnah is that this was always sort of like the key part of, you know, sort of making it Rosh Kodesh is the idea that you like sort of publicly have to sanctify it. And then we have this opinion of Rabbi Elazar, uh, uh, Rabbi Tzado, um, and, you know, and then there's sort of more discussion based around it of, you know, what are the, what, when are the cases where you really have to say Mekudash and where are the cases that you don't have to, right? Whether it's some people, right, we have this uh, Plimu, which is not a Tana we hear about often. He says it's sanctified if it's seen on the 31st, but not on the 30th. Rabbi Elizabeth Shimon, who says in either place, it doesn't have to be sanctified. Um, and, and the fact that Rabbi Yehuda, in the name of Shmuel, says that you actually, Rabbi Yehuda, in the name of Shmuel, says that Halacha actually follows Rabbi Elizabeth ben Sado. So I'm not going to read this whole passage, but I just want you to pay, everyone should just pay attention to it, because I think they spend a lot of time on this idea of when you have to and when you don't have to. And I just think it's a very different read than the Mishnah. Like when you read the Mishnah, this opinion of Rabbi Elezer, Rabbi Tzadok, just seems like sort of a das yachid. It's an opinion they wanted to keep, but it definitely is at odds with the Tanakhama and at odds, I think, how most of us think about how the new year was, how the new month was actually sanctified. But the Gemara here really seems to give this like a lot of credence. And I don't know, just for me, I'm just sort of raising, like, I guess, uh, how I felt about this passage. This was so different than how I normally think about uh, Rosh Chodesh. Uh, to me, the Mikudash part always seemed very essential. This Gemara kind of turns that on its head a little bit. Um, yes, I agree that's true. I don't think I thought it was essential in the same way. Maybe because I had been exposed to this Gemara at the same time that I was exposed to the Mikudash Mikudash, meaning... If you first learn the Mishnah and then only later learn the Gemara, then it seems like a whole new way, right? But if you've only ever put them to get learn them together, then it's not as surprising, maybe. I, that might be true. I've learned that Mishnah many times. I cannot remember if I've learned the staff of Gemara before, but I think so that, that's fair. right. In other words, so if then you that's learned the Mishnah originally with the Gemara, maybe. But if you've just learned that Mishnah, yes, it seems very it seems very different. I think also I learned the Mishnah recently, relatively recently, with my son, and the commentary pointed this out, meaning the commentary that we were using. So, so we talked about it, right? We talked about, you know, how much does how much does it depend on the power of the speech to say that this has happened, or does it not depend on that? Right. So, so the Gemara you know. seems to say it really doesn't. And again, I just think it's an interesting, it's a good example of like how you can have a Mishnah. That seems very straightforward, and the Gemara really gives you a totally different meaning of it. Which is one of the reasons also, right, we always say we don't pass them from the Mishnah, because yes, it's exactly. exactly this. It's completely different. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's, that's also true. Speaking of Mishnah, I'm going to tackle the second one. Now on the bottom of Ahmed Aleph, move, we'll be moving on to Ahmed Bet with the Gemara. Dmut surot levana hayulo Gamliel betavla. So Rabban Gamliel had like a tablet, a 
a tablet, a, a board, something of the pictures of the different forms of the moon. They would hang on the wall of the attic where they would, um, where he would show it to the people, like the, I guess the witnesses or anybody else who comes to testify, who comes to comment on the moon, right? Some of the people will not necessarily be accepted as witnesses if other people have already been there, but still, they would say, did you see this way or did you see that way? Of course, that's that's kind of already, um, you know, feeding the witness, whether it was this way or this way. But on the other hand, we also know how many different ways could the moon go. Did you see it? Was the crescent open to the left or open to the right? You know, that kind of thing. There's different pictures, um, which leads us in this Gemara to a whole different kind of discussion. It's really... I want to say it's a tangent, but it speaks about this question of the fact that Rabbi Gamliel had a picture, diagrams of the celestial bodies, and then the Gemara comes and asks right away, Omishari, how is that allowed? Right? Who permitted that? Mahakativ, Lotasun iti, Lotasun kidmut shamashai. Right? Where you're not allowed, there's a verse in Shmot, uh, chapter 20. Uh, Exodus cuff, whatever I've said those backwards, but fine, right? That says you're not gonna, you will not make gods, you will not make me, right, in silver or gold, right? The idea is you do not make any images of, and here it says Shamashai of my attendants who serves God. The implication here is, of course, the celestial bodies that, you know, quote unquote, serve God, the sun and the moon. Um, shouldn't we not be making pictures of the sun and the moon? And this is a halachic conundrum that, you know, comes up now and again for freelance, for, for I'm sorry, for fine art artists, right? For painters, whatever. It comes up when, what are you going to do with children who, as we've already mentioned, you know, you draw from childhood, you draw pictures of the sky. Amar lo shabashin so the Abai comes and says, and he answers the Gemara quite directly, says the prohibition is only in the case of a shamash, an attendant of God, where it would be possible to reproduce something in that, in that, like them, right? That it's going to be in that way. So for example, I don't know what, if you had a rock and you're going to make another rock, right? Kidditanya lo yasadam bayit tavnit hechal akasadra tavnit ulam Right, meaning for any of these things, you can't make a house that's exactly like the Beit Hamikdash. You cannot make an um, a portico that's in the same form as the entrance of the hechal. You cannot make a courtyard that lines up with the temple courtyard, or a shulchan, a table that lines up with the table in the Beit Hamikdash, nor a menorah that's exactly like the menorah in the Beit Hamikdash. However, aval oseh shel chamisha v'shel shisha v'shel shmona v'shel shiva lo yaseh. Meaning, you want to talk about making what we'll call a menorah. This is where English comes in handy. We're going to call it a candelabrum because that's the translation, right? Where the menorah is the one that's in the Beit Hamikdash with its very specific seven lamps, meaning one shamash and six uh, six individual, I don't know what, to mark the days, let's say. And then, but you could make one. You could make a candelabrum of five or of six or of eight. Right? Just don't make it of seven. And also you can make it, you know, another way to make it different would be to make it um, of a different kind of metal, meaning not the gold that's, that was in the Beit HaMikdash. 
So obviously, Barry Yehuda says, also don't make it out of wood, by the way, which, by the way, is good a good tip when you're talking about flames, but leave the, leaving that aside. But the real issue with the wood is, it says here, right, Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda Omer, af shal eit lo yaseh, as we've said, the kings of the Beit Cheshmonai, the Hasmoneans, who were the later kings, really, of the whole temple era, um, they what did they do? They After they purified the temple, right, meaning in the story of Hanukkah and everything like that, right, so they prepared the, they, I guess they had to make a new menorah, right? So they made it out of wood. They didn't have anything else. The miracle was about the oil, right, not about the, not about the menorah itself. Um, and so then that's what they used, meaning they, and then once there was a, a wood menorah in the Beit HaMikdash, so now we're not going to have wood menorahs outside of the Beit HaMikdash. Now, this is not exactly the case, right? Meaning it doesn't really mean you can't use any gold or any of the metal that was used. It means that if you're going to have it be in the shape the form of what was in the Beit HaMikdash, then also you can't have it in the exact metal and you can't, don't have the right number. Any Chanukiah, meaning any menorah, menorah, any candelabrum that is used for Hanukkah is by definition not exactly mirroring the these candelabra, whatever, however they were built within the Beit HaMikdash because that's uh, six, six with a Shabash as compared to eight with a Shabash. So straight up is a different... Um, it's a different candelabrum, for for lack of a better term, to distinguish between, again, the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash and the Chanukiyot that we have today. In any case, the, the point is that those are, that, that that distinction then is fundamentally reduced to nothing in terms of the way we we don't mimic the Beit HaMikdash because none of our practices do, but the concern is still to treat all of the items and vessels and so on that were in the temple, we're going to treat them in such a way that we do not fashion them, we do not mimic them. It's it's not even the idolatry concern as for as much as it is a, a respect for for the temple. And with that, we'll close. Uh, thank you for joining us. That's our discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Um, come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about this stuff. And oh, it's really twists, many twists and turns. Um, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the 100 website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.